himself. Oh, is it going in? It is! Unbelievable stuff from Robbie Fowler. You're listening to the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Well, hello again and welcome to the Robbie Fowler Podcast. We're delighted to say we've reached the promised land of episode three. It's myself, Chris McCarty, joined by the main man himself once more. It is the gaffer, and there's good reason I'm calling him that. It is Robbie Fowler. Robbie, hello, my friend. Chris, how are you, pal? Okay? I'm very well. How are you, more to the point? Seven unbeaten in the Indian Super League. Yeah, seven unbeaten, five draws, a little bit too many. Uh, doing okay, but yeah, it's one of them little debates, isn't it? So, you know, if you, if, if you keep drawing games, I mean, would you prefer to to win two and lose three, or would you prefer to draw the five? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's good for the confidence that you're unbeaten, but you've got to start getting wins, haven't you? That's what it's all about. It is well, about I, winning uh, games, what, what but do you hey, think, don't Chris? complain. What, what, what would you oh, take? So, what t- would you yeah. take? Would you take the two wins and the three losses, or the five draws? The five draws. The five draws all day long, unbeaten. Hopefully, hopefully, but, 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 your luck will turn, but you don't want to be losing football matches. No, but but it's, it's, it's one point less, Chris. That one point might get us into the Champions League. Well, yeah, fair. Listen, that's, that's a valid point. Points over draws and unbeaten runs. Okay, I'll bow down to your superior knowledge on that front. But listen, don't complain. You're seven unbeaten. I'm going to talk more about what's going on over in India with East Bengal in a few minutes, Rob. But listen, our first chance to catch up since the bore draw at Anfield. Liverpool nil, my beloved Man United nil. You boys were lucky to hold on. <laughs> I think I love the fact is that you've got to get the beloved in as though you're pretending to be that Man United fan again. I Listen, I've been on the phone. I've been on the phone to you, and I can't believe how gutted you was that we only drew the game. Uh, honestly, it was. I mean, it, look. In all honesty, it wasn't a great game. Was I think if any team deserved to win for the way they played, it was Liverpool. I think Manchester United went there with a game plan. Uh, and look, you, you can't fault them for that because obviously they're playing against a superior team. So you go up there and shut shop and and try and get that that point. Um, and yeah, potentially could have won the game with with two great chances. Really, wasn't massive, it? Uh, massive especially chances. Especially that the, uh, the, the Pope won. But it's probably a good result for Manchester United going there, going to the home of the champions um, <laughs> and and putting in. And a decent performance, let's be honest. Um, but yeah, they probably could have won the game as well. But yeah, Liverpool not firing all cylinders, as we know. But still a class team, though, Chris, aren't we? You've not really shown that in the last few games. Three games now. We're recording this. It's important we point this out. We're recording this on the Thursday, the the uh, the day before the night match between Liverpool and Burnley. Three games without a goal, Roberto. You must be a little concerned. And and more than that, Roberto Firmino, the man that is obviously in the position that you held down during your spell at Anfield. Does his form or lack thereof worry you at all? Um. Yeah, to a degree it does. Look, I, I'm I'm one of them with Firmino. I think he look. Don't get me wrong. He's obviously quality and he's a class player. But but as all forwards are, they are gauged on the goals he score. Uh, not many, how many flicks he can do, or you know how, how many you know no look finishes he can do. They are judged on goals, and that's to be all and end all of it. Um, so yeah, so when you aren't scoring goals, I think that when he is doing the flicks or when he is doing those. Th- maybe things he doesn't need to do then he's going to get a little bit more stick just for the simple fact he's not scoring so I get 
what everyone's saying and I get whatever I take it on board uh, and I'm sure look he's taking it on board I'm sure Jürgen and the rest of his staff are taking everything on board uh, and they are going through a diff- you know a difficult patch you know, it's not just him you know Salah doesn't yeah. really look the same player uh, I don't mean that in a derogatory way I just mean in terms of his, his confidence looks a little bit low which is quite ridiculous when you think that the player he is the goals he's scored um, I look at maybe it's like the, the like the bigger the bigger picture where your people are expecting a little bit too much uh, from all the players, because um, let's be honest, they, they haven't really, you know, they've not set the world like this year, whereas the previous years they've all been absolute magnificent. And that's the beauty of obviously good players. You know, when, when you mm. don't get to their own standards and so when you don't reach those standards, people question it. And, and that's just that's the nature of football. It really is. You're not hitting you're not hitting the panic button just yet. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, the the more it goes on the season, the, you know, the more points uh, you fall behind. I, I think that's when 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 to worry. Look, Jürgen was on last week, and look, we we know what type of managers you know, and look, he he will get the best out of them, you know, and he he will get them performing a little bit better. He'll be working non-stop to get uh, to get the right results. Uh, and <laughs> look, it's important you start getting them, you know, a little bit sooner. Because obviously the later it goes and you're playing that that bigger catch up, then uh, it, you know becomes it becomes really like an impossible job. Uh, I mean, City are City are unbelievable again. So you know you're yeah. all sitting there with with a smiley face because you're because you're <laughs> back top of the league, Chris. But you won't win the league. So if Liverpool don't win the league, City win the league. So I, I, I don't know what you're smiling for anyway. I'm smiling because it's just great to be top of the league once more. A big win for us at Fulham. Paul Pogba, who's shown a bit of form all of a sudden. And I'm sure we'll get uh, our, our guests' well, thoughts on all of a sudden. Pogba. All of all a sudden, sudden mate. Uh, he, he, he's due a testimonial this year, isn't he? <laughs> Not quite. Well, I suppose over the, over the two spells, he probably he is. But yeah, finally, maybe just maybe Paul's actually relishing this. Maybe he's fancying it. Maybe he can be our inspirational and our talismanic figure to take us back to the top of the tree. Well, it's, fun, it's funny, Chris, because you're talking about him being a talent. And look, there's no denying that he's a great player and a class player. He's, he's not shown the form that people have, you know, people think that he's got. Uh, and even his performance last week against uh, against Liverpool and Anfield, it was okay. You know, nothing to write home about. You know, he perhaps should have scored. But I think if Liverpool were at the top of the game, uh, at the top of their game and the position where he played, that was a chance for Liverpool to capitalise. Uh, you know, I think he does tend to ball watch quite a lot. For, yeah. for for an elite footballer, um, and obviously getting back and defending was was I thought hard work for him. So Liverpool never sort of capitalised on on his position. In all honesty, don't you be sticking the boot in because our next guest, I'm sure, will be doing that. He's certainly made. <laughs> Well, he's made it his mission in the last few months to stick the boot in when it comes to all things Paul Pogba. Let's get to our guest. He's going to be joining us very shortly. And this is a man that holds, and I don't want to over-egg this, Rob, but he, he holds a very special place, I guess, in your heart because he is the man that gave you your debut at Liverpool Football Club. It's the one and only, and I'm a bit scared by this, it's Graham Souness. How, 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 is his bark worse than his bite? Uh, you should be scared, Chris. You really should be. Uh, I mean, he's an absolute legend of a man. He's, he is that man who walks into a room and you know he's in the room without even seeing him. Uh, he has just just incredible aura about him. He has. I used to call him the Ready Breck Man. In all honesty, <laughs> because he had this like this glow around him wherever he walked, wherever he went and walked into uh, into any situation. But I, I think he was hard. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? He was incredibly fair. Um, 
And you know what? I liken him now to, and it's interesting you're saying about the Pogba. I actually liken him to, a, he's like the Simon Cowell of the football world, isn't he? <laughs> you can tell him that. Will he take that as a compliment? No, I think he will because <laughs> what he is, he's, he's, he's genuine in it and upfront with his honesty. Um, you know, like Simon Cowell, if someone goes on stage and they're not very good, <laughs> Simon Cowell will tell them they're not very good. Yeah, and, true. And look, it's not a bad thing. It really is. So maybe he's doing them a favour. Maybe he wants them to go away and, and become better or go away, practice and, and do this to get better. Uh, and that's obviously what Graham does. And, and I know you, you you mentioned the Pogba one. And look, uh, Graham probably thinks he's, he's a good player, decent player, but he probably thinks there's more in him and he can get yeah. more out of him. Um, and I'm sure if he was a manager, you know, I, I, he'd be doing exactly the same thing to him as a player, just to to bring him out a little bit more. So yeah, I, I think that's probably a good analogy. Actually, he is Simon Cowell. In fact, <laughs> I, I might I might sort of uh, renege on that as well. I think you might have to tell him that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him that. Don't worry, I, I'll take that on board. Listen, you, we were talking off air actually, and and you said that Graham Souness will always be gaffer to you. He is the man that gave you your debut. Can I ask Rob before we bring him into the conversation? Was you or, or you getting your debut? Was that out of necessity, or or was your form at youth level and the way that the club was going at that point? Did he have no choice but to throw um, you in? Were you literally banging on his door? <laughs> Again, look, I, th- I think he might be better equipped to answer that. Look, I, I, all I was doing, I'd, I'd went away with England in the uh, the summer before this season, this particular season, and done reasonably well, scored a few goals, and yeah, went away, came back, um, you know, went on a reserve tournament up in Scarborough, uh, and I ended up captain reserves actually. So I knew I was obviously there or thereabouts with the first team, um, but I think I was quite fortunate enough to. So, so take my chance and, and be lucky I've mentioned loads of times with you I think obviously you need a little bit of talent you need that little bit of dedication but you need an incredible amount of luck and I, I did get it and there's no denying that fact obviously came into the side scored a few goals and kept me place uh, but I'd been in around the squad for for months and months before you know I actually made me a, a debut um, I mean not too many people will probably remember but my first taste of first team football was the was actually the first year of the Premier League was uh, the last game of the season uh, against uh, Tottenham at Anfield we won 6-2 and uh, you know he never put me on obviously being a young kid I never knocked on his door understandable Uh, (laughs) but you know what I I probably wasn't ready so because I was I was this skinny little kid obviously made up for it since but he's uh, <laughs> I think he was just looking after me and you know he was waiting for that time to to make sure I was ready he obviously done his own work on me he's uh, his staff the likes of Ronnie Moran Roy Evans um, you know Phil Thompson at the time was there so all these staff would have seen me and known what I could do so you know he's probably run the rule over me and, and waited until I was what he thought I was ready so you know I, I was incredibly lucky in the fact that, that Liverpool still had great players, but probably like the team now where these top players were going through a little bit of a difficult time in terms of scoring goals. Can I ask uh, Rob, I, Can I? sorry to, to jump in there, can I ask, and again, we're going to welcome him into the conversation momentarily, but just your take on him, what was he like with you? Because the, the word that continues to crop up when describing Graham Souness is uncompromising. He never shirked a challenge, he never backed down from one in management either. Was he an arm round the shoulder with you? Did he throw the teacups? Give us a, maybe an idea or a certain anecdote that has stayed with you all these years. 
Um, again, it, there's, there's there's lots of grain that people don't really see. You know, he is um, he is this. I mean, we know what type of player he was. He he was the the hard case player who never shirked the challenge. Uh, and look, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that in terms of a manager as well. And look, he told you when you were when you were wrong, uh, but he also told you when you were right. I think when I got into the team, he was he was brilliant with me. Uh, obviously, I think that's that's the the sense of being a great manager. In all fairness, you know, no one who can you put your arm around, and no one who who needs a, a kick up the backside if you like. And obviously, me being a young lad, I was the architectural. You know, I'll come in the team and I'll you know do what I need to do. But I think he recognised that, and he need, he knew that I was a young kid coming into the game, so I did need the arm around my shoulder, uh, and he he gave that to me. But he was tough, incredibly tough on the older players, uh, because he he knows. Again, you go back to that Pogba thing where he knows what he can do, and if you're not getting to those levels mm. that you know you you can or you should be getting at, then. It, He's going to tell you, and I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. So, I think uncompromising is probably maybe a tough word for him. Um, I think he's just honest and and true, and that's what I loved about him. Uh, he really was. Um, I mean, quick stories with obviously Graham as well, and I think he, um, you know, I, I was a young kid, and one of my first trips with Liverpool was going on a pre-season trip to uh, to Ireland, uh, and you know, obviously we played over the game, and you know. Th- Played over Ireland. The, the game was—I can't even remember the game in all fairness. But the next morning was what it was all about. So obviously we're flying back to Liverpool. We're in Dublin <laughs> Airport, maybe seven thirty in the morning, uh, and he introduced me to a, to a pint of Guinness. You know, get some of that down, you <laughs> get some of that down, your son. So I'm having a, a pint of Guinness with uh, with Graham Souness at <laughs> half seven in the morning. Uh, it's he probably looked at me and thought, "Well, you need to," because I was hollow. I was hollow at the time, you know. You probably just need to uh, bulk up a little bit instead of getting pushed off the ball. So I think he he recognises a, a lot in in me. Uh, and obviously him doing that, you know, I think if it, maybe nowadays it's probably a little bit wrong, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you're having a pint of Guinness with your manager half seven in the morning. I, I will say there was lots of other players there as well and other staff and and. This one, I think, typifies Graham Sooners and, and what his, uh, his nickname at Liverpool was uh, Champagne Charlie. Uh, so obviously, Adam De Guinness, he's got the uh, he's got the better drink, but he, he's also got <laughs> he's also got oysters as well. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, this is Graham Sooners having oysters and champagne at seven thirty in the morning. This is what it's all about, by the way. <laughs> and then, of course, well, did you catch on with that? Was that your kind of breakfast of champions a few oh, months later? Oh, Chris, I never stopped eating oysters, I'm telling you. It has to be go-to dish now. Oh, 7.30 in the morning. What a great little story that is. Well, listen, Graham is going to be joining us. Loads of questions for him. I think we're going to be looking back a little bit on his career. I want to ask, and I'm going to probably embarrass you a little bit, Robbie. I want to get his take on you as a young player and managing you. And of course, we need to get his thoughts on a certain Paul Pogba as well. And, and I'm not going to call him Simon Cowell. That's over to you to do just that as well. Okay, Rob? <laughs> I am actually nervous. I, uh, I'm you, uh, nervous. Give you, uh, yeah, I'll give you another quick, uh, Chris. I'll give you another quick story. Actually, so when uh, we were at YTS, uh, which is obviously the youth training scheme, which is obviously the equivalent of being an apprentice today. So every every Friday, we used to have to bundle the kit. So it's not like today where you know players get the kit washed every single day. We had the kit um, bundled 
and that hit your wall all week. So you can imagine we had it like a drying room at Anfield, which is obviously where we trained, um, got the bus to training. And um, we used to have to, have to bundle this kit. So after everyone's used it, instead of getting a wash every day, you just put it in a drying room. So by the Friday, the, ne- the next Friday, the kit was like driving down to the training ground itself because it was that, that honking, right? It was ridiculously expelling <laughs> everything. But... As I said, when we're bundling, and that was our jobs as a, as YTS players, was to bundle the kit. So what you do is you get your shirt, you get your shorts, you get your your underpants, you, you, you'd roll them up, and then you'd tie it with a sock. So obviously, hence the bundle. So we used to have bundle fights, being the YTS kids. So we, we had these fights, and, you know, it was my inner Ellery Anley where I'd give a deal underarm, you know, throw and, you know, like throw it to someone, and they'd catch it, and they'd be to do another, you know, a, a try. But we used to also try and hurt each other as well. So, like, try and wind each other or eat, hit each other in the in the head or in the face or whatever. And I remember this particular day. Um, so I bundled this kit, and it was it was a brilliant bundle. It was nice and compact, nice and tight, and it was it was perfect. It was perfect for that underarm Ellery Ellery Anley style throw. And Ashley Neal, who was Phil Neal's son, he was a YTS player with me. Uh, and I, we used to have like he, he was a lot bigger than me uh, but I was like this cheeky little so and so and I'd, I'd fancy my chances with anyone so <laughs> I threw this kit at Ashley and he got me back so I'm thinking I'll have to get him back so I bundled this kit he's walked out of the room and as he's come back in I give this underarm throw and it's smashed him right in the side of the head hey listen but it was that good of a throw it caught his head and then his head smashed against the door frame and next thing you know, there's claret and there's, there's blood, there's, there's crying, there's everything. Just to, and I went, oh my God, what have I done here? And there's blood everywhere in this uh, in this little room where we were. <laughs> and I'm panicking now. So obviously he's he's been carted off to hospital. Uh, he's got about four or five stitches in a in an eye wound. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, that that's it. You know, I'm 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 done. This is me. So obviously came around. It went went to uh, went to the hierarchy. Went to Graeme Sooners. Graeme Sooners went absolutely ballistic on me. Uh, went into his office, uh, and he was dead calm in the office. He went, look, I had to be ballistic with you in front of everyone. Uh, but in the office, he, went, he was brilliant with me. He went, look, you can't do that. He said, but HR have been on to me. He said, but what I have to do, he said, I had to give you a written warning. Obviously, if you do that one more time, he said, you'll be out of the club. He said, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to do this. So... Yeah, so my Liverpool career nearly never took off because I smashed Ashley Neal with a with a bundle, and Graeme Sooners actually never gave me that written warning. Although from a from an HR point of view, it was probably what I, what I needed. Yeah, and uh, all because you made a nice tight compact bundle is what yeah. it was, Rob. Yeah. I love it, the yeah. master of making a bundle. Can I just ask as well, very quickly, and I appreciate the pod is ticking on a little bit here, but so many questions pertaining to Graham. In terms of, I, I read a wonderful, I say a wonderful story, not wonderful if you're Mark Wright. Back in 1992, there's a, a legend going around that I think Chelsea had come to Anfield and, and beaten Liverpool. And Mark Wright afterwards was pulled into the gaffer's office and he came out in tears. Did, did Graham, did you ever see players brought to tears by the sharp tongue of Graham Souness. Um, no, I have. I've, I've seen. I've seen players. Yeah, have the sharp. Yeah, have the sharp tongue. Um, but you know what? I, th- I mean, it, with me, it, it was mainly the older players. In all fairness, and just to, to reiterate what I said before, it was probably because he knew that he could get something out of them. Yeah. Uh, you know that was the type of 
you know, characters that he probably wanted in his dressing room. He wanted to, to give you a little bit and he wanted to, to be that man who would say, look, go out there, this is what you need to do, go out there and show me. Uh, obviously, he'd say it in a, in, a, in a different way, but yeah, <laughs> I look, I, I don't know if that's true. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting if um, if he comes out and says something himself, but... The other thing as well, Rob, I can ask him that. that. Yeah, I've got those questions written down. I'll see how the interview goes. The other one that I'll really need to be brave to ask, and I've spoken to to two men who assure me that it's true, both Dwight York and Andy Cole, uh, of course, Man United legends, who who worked under Graham at Blackburn. There's a a famous story, an infamous story, where Yorkie, Graham was taking part in training. Yorkie, I think, maybe called Megs, as you do to your gaffer. Graham wasn't having it. And it's fair to say Dwight spent a few weeks on the sidelines after what went down was Graham really competitive Rob did he take part in training was he uh, just a born winner uh, yeah definitely um, <clears throat> I think probably what you said like I, again I don't know if it's true but yeah I, I can I can see it being true in all <laughs> yeah. things because of the type of what I mean I think that goes back to the, the our Liverpool days so every Friday before a game we'd have a staff match uh, so it would always be the YTS players against the staff Um or the youth team plays against the staff, uh, and whatever whatever young kid was on that that staff side, because obviously th- there wasn't just full of staff. There was a few YTS players as well, but the staff team used to win all the time. But if the young team was winning, uh, then you would play on until the staff were, were in the lead, and then the, the whistle would go. So it was that unbelievable competitiveness where they just never got beat. Um, you know, going in for 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 tough tackles with, with players that have potentially got games the next day. Yeah, I, I can see that. I really can. Uh, probably not. Probably not <laughs> ideal, to be fair. But hey, listen, don't mess with don't mess with the gaffer. I tell you, he's um, he's, don't mess yeah, with the gaffer. He, he he's a proper star, though. He really is. Yeah, I'm looking forward to welcoming on here. And, and listen, we are going to be doing just that in a few seconds. We'd be remiss of me not to ask about that little set two that you had in midweek. We're talking all things Indian Super League now. You are the boss of East Bengal. We touched on it earlier, seven games unbeaten. But my goodness, Rob, you've gone viral. You were channeling your inner Graham Sunes midweek. I've never seen you that irate. I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, I do not want to make Robbie Fowler angry. What went on? <laughs> Well, look, we just felt that a lot of decisions were not going our way. And look, every manager in the, in the world football will have debates and opinions and ideas about how referees and the lines of an official should be officiating games. Uh, so I just felt hard done by. Um, so when you feel hard done by, you're not really going to sit there and take it all the time. Sometimes you've got to come back and sort of fend for yourself and, and fight for for what you think's right. Within reason, admittedly, within reason. Um, and then at the, at the end of the game, one of the uh, the pundits over here, he um, he just came out and like said, "Oh, you should be embarrassed about your bench." And I went, "Wow, you know what I mean? What a ridiculous <laughs> oh, statement yes, that you is!" Did. Yeah. And I, when when you're sort of uh, having a go again, any manager with football, when you're having a go like my players or my team or my staff, then you know I'm I'm there to to defend them. You know I've I've got to show you know I'm there their boss I'm their leader and you know I'm going to fight for them um, and I am passionate so people maybe don't see that side of me because I'm, I'm very placid and you know I can talk to people but when it comes to football you know I, I want to win at all costs you know I, I really do and I, you know I want to do everything that's needed um, and when people are sort of questioning 
question me and question my team and question my staff, then you know I'm going to come out and defend them. And I thought the uh, the, the question was incredibly harsh. In all fairness, um, I don't know whether he was trying to do it just to you know maybe have a little point and or oh, look, I can ask these type of questions. But look at the fella who asked me that question. I have since found out that uh, he got maybe suspended uh, about four or five years ago when he was an interim coach. And uh, you know, this is the power of uh, social yeah. media and and uh, well, the world now. You know, if if you're gonna come out and and condemn something or someone for something the uh, the the supposedly done or you know apparently doing, yeah, then uh, you know back it up. And this uh, this fella just you know can't back it up because obviously he's um, he was suspended for four or five games because obviously his attitude. His attitude on a bench, so yeah, I thought that was incredibly rich off. Well, well, one thing I learned, Robbie, is I'm not going to mess with you, my friend. Okay, so what you say <laughs> goes on the Robbie Fowler <laughs> podcast, and it's a lovely little. Yeah, you were going to say something there. No, I just say look, uh, but this uh, this is me being placid, Chris. Come on, we we can. Yeah, we're, we're mates. We're okay, we're, we're chums. We're, we're pals, d- d- despite who we uh, who we follow. Well, listen, I was going to say that as well. A lot of people have been asking, where is my Liverpool shirt? Where is your Man United shirt? It did finish nil nil at Anfield, so that will roll over to the FA Cup tie, the Emirates FA Cup tie this coming Sunday. Yeah. Of course, we are broadcasting uh, this uh, podcast on the Thursday. So, if Man United win. You've got to wear the Man U kit. If Liverpool win, I've got to wear a Liverpool badge, right? But but, but you also will say with that one though. We we might send our B team because it's the FA Cup. You won't be sending your B team. The form you're well, in, the form you're in, you can't afford to send your B team, my friend. Uh, we might uh, this, we might see. see well, it's, look, it's only trophy really win matter. this season to, to potentially. Fair, it doesn't matter what team. Doesn't matter what team we send. Does it really? Because you'll just sit back and defend That's again, fine. That's fine. Hey. We'll soak up yeah. the pressure. You won't no, score a big, goal. Hey, oh, uh, we are the big Manchester United <laughs> and we'll soak up the pressure. That's fine. Hey, imagine, imagine Sir Alex Ferguson going to games with that attitude. Hey, he did on some. Arsenal away. Love to soak up the yeah, pressure. Hey, hey, hey. The, the, you've just said it yourself, Chris. In some. Uh, not every. Oh, in some. come on. We're not doing every game. Come on now. <laughs> but listen, let's stop this argument. I'm conscious of time. Graham Souness, and I'm not keeping Simon Cowell waiting any longer. <gasps> That is the I can't, believe you, I can't believe you called them that <laughs> I'm going to tell him what you said Graham Souness on the way it is episode 3 the Robbie Fowler podcast brought to you by McDonald's McCafe great tasting coffee simple this is the Robbie Fowler podcast powered by McDonald's McDonald's McCafe great tasting coffee simple Dubai Eye 103.8 morning Mr Souness good morning how are you doing we're all well Robbie, are you able to hear your boss, your former boss? Yes, I can. He didn't yes, I can. call me a bastard behind my back. <laughs> Gaffer, I, Gaffer, are you okay? I would never do that. You know I would never do that. Oh, oh Graham, we'll tell you what he has called you behind your back in a second, though. Oh, oh no, don't tell him. <laughs> Listen, Graham Souness, absolute delight to, to have you as a guest on the Robbie Fowler podcast. It is the man that Robbie has told me to call the gaffer. I will do that because this man, well, he scares me a little bit being a fellow Scot. Robbie's called you something else. But listen, before we get to that, let's welcome him into the conversation. A footballing legend, a Scotland legend, a Liverpool legend. It is Mr. Graham Souness. And Graham, welcome to the Robbie Fowler podcast. Thank you. That's a fair old introduction. I better be good. Yeah, you you will be good. I've got no doubt about that. And and listen, let me start because Robbie's told me to say this to you. He's just called you the Simon Cowell of football, Graham. Your reaction to that? Um, Gaffer, before you before you before you carry on though, 
let me tell you the reason why. <laughs> it, it's, right. not, it's not because you wear your trousers high up or it's the way you dress. It's because how incredibly honest you are. It's because you say it out like it is. And if someone's... Uh, I will think back to like the X Factor or whatever Simon Cowell does. If someone's not good enough, he'll tell them. <laughs> and it's the attitude where you go away and you improve and come back to me when you're good enough. And I think that's what you are as a, as a manager. Certainly, as a, you have high expectations, and if you don't get to them levels, then then you question it. So I I think Simon Cowell of the football world is actually a great analogy. Well, I know where you're coming from, but I think it's listen. It was it was the way I was brought up in terms of as a child. It was the way I would, in the football world. It was a very different world today to it was when I was starting off, and then ultimately when I get to Liverpool, that 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 sense of directness, that sense of honesty prevailed. It was, listen, at Liverpool, the, the, Ronnie Moran and Joe, Joe Fagan would say, look, we've told you once, we've told you twice, we won't be telling you a third time, because if you don't get it after, after us telling you twice, you will not be here very long. And, and I think I've always worked on the premise that honesty is the best, you know, the best way forward, uh, and to my detriment, because I think today, in the modern game, you have to be a bit of a, a schmoozer, and that's the you have to be someone that's prepared to toe the party line most of the time. And I think you have to tell people what they want to hear, basically. Mm. And everyone's a diplomat today. You know, you you look at the way managers have to be with players today. You know, they're cuddling when they come off. They've had a shit game, but they're putting their arm around them and telling them how well they've done. Um, and that that that's right across the board now. You know, there's there's it's a different. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the case in every workplace that, that it's a very different relationship today. But that was the way I was brought up, and you know I'm 67 now, so I can't change. Gaffer, you're, 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 you're never wrong. You, you can't be. Graeme Souders. Graeme Souders. Graeme Souders is never wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Wish. <laughs> I wish. How's life for you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, I mean, I've been a manager now for a few years. Uh, yeah, doing okay. Enjoy it. And this one, what's, I'll, I'll, what's my management style? Did <laughs> you take him out? I actually, I actually loved the way you managed. I mean, funny enough, before you got on there, I, I like the way uh, everyone's different, and I think you're absolutely spot on the way you, the way players are treated. Some players do need that proverbial arm around the shoulder. Some players need to be told, you know, what what they probably need to do better, what they can do better. But I think that's maybe a little bit tougher in today's game so I'm, I'm probably more diplomatic now but because I think you need to in the modern game I think 100%. everyone is everyone is, is is different and everyone will I don't know will, will change their game to the way they see fit but it's different from years ago now I think so you have got to you have to, have to be more more arm around the shoulder type of manager you really oh, are 100% you know it's all about keeping them on side and you know, with the way the world is today, and I'm reluctant to use the, the W word, um, you know, everyone has to be more aware of the surroundings and people's feelings. Where going back a few decades, no one considered the players' feelings. It was all about this is the way it has to be, and these are my rules, and we've got to stick to them. It's it's it's, it's a very very different workplace. I mean, I, I always, for right or for wrong, I worked on on the, on the premise that. You know, when, when, I, when I was constantly on to players, they would say to me, you know, you're always having to go at me. I said, no, I'm not. I said, the time for you to worry is when I just stop talking to you. That means I've given up on you. That means I, I, I'm, you're not for me. So, you know, 
there has to be a boss in every in every walk of life, in every business, every walk of life, there has to be a boss. Um, and the same applies to football. And I'm not, I, for me, and again, from outside looking in, because I've not been there for, what, 15 years or so, the tail wags the dog in many cases now. Mm-hmm. The players have so much power um, simply because they're, they, they're, they're such a big asset for the company now. You know, you're talking about players that can be worth 100 million pounds plus. So when push comes to shove and the games are not going well and the results are not going well, the board will look at the asset if he's been parked up on the subs bench and look at the manager and think, who's worth more money to us going forward? And the manager gets the chop. You know, when you walk into the dressing room, I'm sure you're aware of this. You walk into the dressing room today, if you fall out with one, if you have a go at someone at half time, say, you're only just falling out with him. You're falling out with his best mate. And his best mate, maybe four or five players you're falling out with by digging one out. And in the, and certainly in the Premier League now, you know, the first thing the player does is phone up his agent and say, I can't believe it the way he spoke to me today. Um, and then a few indifferent results. The agent leaks a story to the press and that all the oldest chestnut in football comes out, always lost a dressing room. That gets back yeah, to the definitely. chairman, chief executive, owner. And for for the manager who's on a in Scottish we say a sugarly peg. His jacket's <laughs> on a sugarly peg, which means he's you know a couple of games away from getting getting the bullet. Yeah, Gaffer, is man management more prevalent today then than what it was uh, like? Well, yesteryear. I think the first thing, the number one thing you have to get right at a football club, and nobody gets it right all the time. You know, you need a great deal of luck, and that might trivialise it. But for me, and I look back in in my career and think where I was lucky, where I was unlucky, and I look at some of the big and biggest and best managers that are out there. Even before the guys that are, even before the guys that are that are involved today, you know, and I'd include Fergie in that. You need you need a large slice of luck. You know, in the right place, right time, right player becomes available. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> no, I was just saying it, 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 you know, No, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely spot on because I, I I liken that to myself. No, that, the first thing you have to get right is recruitment. That's, yeah. that's what I was going to say. The first thing you have to get right is recruitment, and you need a bit of luck with that. Well, you, Gaffer, when you talk about obviously you, you get right the recruitment, but how important is your backroom staff as well? Because when I think of uh, managers going into the game now, they've all got the backroom teams. But years ago, it was just that, like the, the manager would come in on his own and he'd maybe use what's around him. But nowadays, a manager coming in, he'll want to take his own team. Is that is is that like a trust issue because of what we're saying about the the man management style with players? Is it because you don't want that, want that that old coach there because obviously you know he might be there to stab you in the back, and you're you've obviously got that trust with a, within your backroom team anyway. Yeah, I think it's fair to you have people around you that you can trust implicitly. I mean, you you know, I don't know what your story is, Robbie. Whether you've taken the same guys with you wherever you've been. Um, yeah, I feel that's important because yeah. the management, when it's not going well, is a very it's a very lonely job, and you've witnessed it, I'm sure, time and time again, where a new manager comes in and he's an open book and he's everyone's mate, and you can you know you'll talk to him, um, he's easy to approach, and then a few bad results, and then he withdraws, and then for the manager, he's thinking, you know, who's leaking the stories to the press, who's not really with me, mm-hmm. uh, and and I would always say. You know, you only find out about people you're working with and players is when you're not winning games. Yeah. Everyone, you hear it all the time. Sure, you've heard it many times. You hear, well, we've got a really strong dressing room. We've got some strong characters in there. You know, 
Let's see if those strong characters are still around when you've lost two or three games back to back at a big club. Yeah. Feel them look for the exit door. But yeah, you've got to have a board, you've got to have a backroom staff that, that you can trust, because as I said, it can be a pretty lonely job at times. Robbie's asked you there, Graham, about man management and the importance of it. I read recently you were saying that, that tactics and, and certainly all the, the reams of columns that are written about tactics, they're a bit overrated. I think you talked about having <laughs> best players work hard and you need that little bit of luck. I also read somewhere that in your seven years at Liverpool, there's only one instance of a tactical reshuffle that Bob Paisley made. Tell us a little bit about that and whether our tactics, do we make too much of them? Can I, I'll, I'll let you into a couple, I've got, you know, I sometimes do Q&As and, and I, I tell this story to begin with. Remind me of the, I'll, okay, I'll start on the tactical bit. So I've been there seven years, we're drawn nil-nil with Bayern Munich, semi-final of the European Cup. We go to the Olympic Stadium and 75,000 people and we go out to warm up and we come back in and they had arguably arguably the best midfield player I ever played against. Arguably. Of that type. A guy called Paul Breitner. Guy, lots to hear. Um, mobile. Ended up going to Real Madrid. Mobile. Just a really, really good player. Hard to, you know, pin down. And then um, we came back in after a warm-up, did whatever, you know, individually we would do. Buzzer goes, we've stood up, we're in a line about to go out the tunnel, or into the tunnel, and Bob Paisley stood in front of us. And Bob was a man of few words. And he said, um, stop a minute. Oh, tonight, Sammy, you man mark Paul Breitner. Now, <laughs> if you think of the psychology of that, we've had, all, we've had two weeks between the two games. We've had two weeks to prepare for man marking Paul Brinder. He doesn't choose to do that. He's not woke up that morning and thought, I'll do that. So we never worked on it. We never worked on it. And that was the first thing. We all chuckled. We turned round over our shoulders to look at Sammy. And Sammy, the most honest man in the world. Yeah, of course, boss. Yeah, yeah. And we went out and he did a great job on him. And we got through to the final. Um, but just going back a couple of questions, when you talk about... Um, how the game has changed and how, you know, we'll, we'll revisit the tactics and all that stuff that you're... But I go to Liverpool, it's important, I'm not bragging, I go to Liverpool on a record transfer fee between two English clubs. And my first week was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, Thursday, Friday. So Monday was like every other day of training. We walked around Melwood, we jogged around Melwood, did a few stretches, small-sided games, few sprints at the end and home. Then on the Wednesday, we were off. So on the Tuesday night, they took me out to see how much I could drink. <laughs> um, and then I said Thursday, the same Friday, and even lighter days training. And then on the Saturday, we were at West Brom. And I'm in the dressing room, and it's, you know, the, the, so we were the, the, the new group coming in, and the old boys were still there. Like I said, you know, Tommy Smith would be there. Clem was there. Toshak was there. Steve Highway. And I'm looking around this dressing room, I'm 23 years old. That was 23, 23. And at 10 to 3, I plucked up enough courage to say to Joe Fagan, I said, Joe, can I have a quick word with you? He said, yeah. He said, what is it, son? I said, look, you know, I've been here a week, no one said anything to me. How is it you want me to play football? How do you want me to play today? He said, in a booming voice, and Robbie will tell you, Joe never spoke with a loud voice. He, he said, F off, son. We've paid all this money for you and you're asking me how to play football. 
I never in my seven years asked another question at Liverpool. <laughs> they, they made you feel that they kept pushing responsibility back to you. They knew the answers. I mean, there was there was nobody better around than, you know, Ronnie Moran, Joe Fagan, Bob Paisley at that time and the knowledge they had, been in the game for such a long time. And all they did all the time was put the onus back on you, made you man up some. This is all about you. You can't do that today. I, I To be fair, I actually love that story because nowadays where... If, if you think of the Premier League or any league in football, you, you look at the players and if there's anything untowards happening on the match or on the pitch, they're looking over at the, at the bench yeah. asking the question, what should, we, what should we do or what can we do? When really, when you, you think of that era, you're playing gaffer, uh, you were like, you were there to fend for yourself and, and if there was a problem, you, you've got to try and work things out yourself and it, it's given players a little bit of ownership of, of what can and, and, and should happen in games. You're expected to take responsibility. Yeah. You know, and, you, and, and that's... That, if you've got a few people in your dressing room that are prepared to do that, that's infectious. But everyone... I, you know, I, I've worked. I was lucky. I played with some great footballers. You know, big personalities, strong personalities. Um, and it was... I think, the, I think the modern expression would be it was tough love at Liverpool in those days. Mm. You know, and, and can I tell another story about... So that was my first. That was my first game. My last game, European Cup final in Rome against Rome. So we've gone on holiday to Israel for a week. We've come back, trained for three days. We go out to Rome to play the game. We go on a Tuesday afternoon. The Tuesday night we train in the stadium where the game is. On the Wednesday we wake up and we go on a bus for an hour because the traffic was really heavy in Rome to, to an area we we're going to train on. It turned turned out to be a ploughed field, so we couldn't train on it. No one. You know, imagine that happening to you. No one had, had gone and done a recce on it to see if it was okay for us to train on. Got there and we'd been stitched up. So we just went for a walk, come back to the hotel, hung around for a bit, and then we're having lunch. So we're having lunch, and up to this point, we had never mentioned Roma. We'd had a jolly up in Israel for a week. And when I say a jolly up, it was, you know, in those days it was party every night, who's <laughs> on the beach, and there was a Italian, a couple of Italian journalists had turned up to, and they just could not believe it. And I, I invited, I was a captain, I invited them down to the bar every night, 7.30, because we all met up for drinks um, at 7.30 before we all went out en masse as a team for dinner. Um, so we get to go to the game now. So we get to, we get to back to the hotel, hang around for a bit. We're having lunch. And at the end of the lunch, Joe Fagan stood up and he's taken a fork or a knife to a glass and tapped it and we've all looked up and he said excuse me boys can you leave the room to the waiters so we're all nudging each other and saying because we never ever had team meetings and we're still going to see so he stood up and he starts always a big game tonight boys yeah reasonably big you know european <laughs> cup final um and it was evident after 10 15 seconds he was talking to himself <laughs> so he said he said them um, Big game side. These must be a good team. Got three or four World Cup winners in it. A um, couple of good Brazilians. And then there was a pause. And I said, they're not as good as us. Now, remember, the bus leaves at 5.30 tonight. Make sure no one's late. <laughs> that was our team talk. That was, we never spoke about my game when I got to the stadium for the game. Absolutely nothing. It was all about, we know how good you are. On you go. People wouldn't believe that. You'd believe no. that because you know how it, how it was. But no one believes that story. When I when I relate that to other footballers of my generation, 
and the more modern generations, nah, couldn't have been like that. It was exactly like that. Gaffer, from from when obviously my experience of growing up in Liverpool and, and playing in a team, our emphasis was more on what we can do, always about what we can do, and it was never about the opposition. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, it became, I don't know, maybe it was scientific or maybe it became like modern football where you've done a lot more work on the opposition. And I remember doing video work for, you know, for a game that we were playing, say we were playing, I don't know, maybe Southampton, Coventry, and you come out of that, that meeting room thinking that you were playing the best team in the world. And also not me, me being disrespectful to Coventry or Southampton or them teams. But when you go out there as a you know as a player and you're seeing all these good things, what the other team can do, that I felt that really had a little bit of a negative effect. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of an analogy, and the best one I can come up with, and I have said this before, when I was at Liverpool, I was friendly with a guy called Bob who worked at Walton Prison, who was a dog handler. You're going to think, where is he going with this story? I had a German shepherd and he would he would come around and help me train it. And you train it, you train, you know, the police train them, the prison train them, forces train their dogs where they just cannot be beaten. You know, when you do an exercise with them, if they've, you know, if they've attacked someone and you pull the dog off them, the person who's been attacked has to back off. It has to be the dog wins all the time. So in his head, he is invincible. So that's why they're so brave and they're, they are what they are. And that's how they made us feel. You know, if you go out constantly worrying about the opposition, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to close that down. We were made to feel the best. Time and time again, and it was generally Ronnie Moran, because, you know, he's he's the best in the world at hitting us on the head and making us feel bang average. (laughs) So we always had to strive to be better. He would say, we'd be playing a team at Anfield, and he would say 10 minutes before the game, he said, that team across the corridor are sitting in the bottom three. Every chance they only get relegated. But for them today, it's their cup final. This is the game of the season they're going to play in. It's their cup final. Unless you match them for effort, you could lose against them today. And he'd finish by saying, but if you match them for effort, we win easily because you're so good. And it just made you feel that bit special. We were, it was, you know, Ronnie Moran, I have to say, was, I went to his funeral, Robbie, a few years ago. I can't remember if you were there or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I talk about Ronnie Moran, I, I, I say the great Ronnie Moran. And the reason I say that, he, well, I came away from that. I took my son, James, to the funeral and we're driving back to Anfield to, to the wake. And I said, think about it, James. He's, he was the single biggest influence on my career. And he said, what do you mean, Dad? And I said, well, he always made, made us and made me feel that I wasn't as good as the players that I've had there in the past. You know, yeah, you're a good team, but you're not, you know, you're not like the team we've had here in the past. Or, yeah, you think you're a good player, but yeah, you should have seen him play. And all the time, they're striving to be better. Now, some players today, I suppose in the past, that's why you're a Liverpool player, wouldn't respond to that kind of chat. They would, they would get smaller, whereas the group I played in, it's, it made the guys get bigger. You know, we would, we would say we'd play the team that was second, third in the league, and we're top important game we've beaten them 4-0 Ronnie Moran after the game we've all had our shower back in the dressing room Ronnie Moran would walk, walk to one side of the dressing room and Joe Fagan would walk to the other and whatever one but they've obviously worked out between them would shout across the dressing room Ronnie would say Joe Joe we weren't very good today were we we've gone nah second half we're disappointing I thought we could have put our foot in the accelerator we've got a few more goals we look sloppy at the back and just leave it hanging there. And, you, and you're saying to yourself, oh, just beat them 4-0, a team that might be challenging. 
you always went away feeling you had a slap around the, the chops from one of those one of those guys. It was, it, it, was, it was always that attitude of know that you can do more and, and get more out of you. And that, they were never content. They were never happy. You know, you'd hear one of them say, we've won the league, we've won the league most years, won the league last day of the season in the dressing room. And it was Ronnie would say it, but it was a quip. He would say, well, Joe, looks like we've got a contract for next year then because we just won the fucking league. Sorry, just won the league. But we've got, we've got a contract for next year and he actually meant it. And that, you know, they were just the unique characters. Just to go, you know, going back to what's your, is he in Belfast, my, my, my um, countryman? No, I'm not. I'm in Dubai, would you believe, Graham? Oh, you're in Dubai. Well, you, you mentioned something. You got me on a roll, and it, it, it strikes a chord when you hear me talk about tactics and formations, and, you know, that's for the anoraks, and people want to think there's more to the game than actually there exists. And I was watching a game of football two weeks ago. I wasn't very good, and I was flicking the channels, and I got to BT, and there was a Jimmy Greaves documentary on it. And I don't know if you've watched it, but it's fabulous. And I, I went to Spurs when I was 15, and I had two years with Jimmy. See, I had two years with Jimmy Greaves. I was at the club for two years. And at 15, I've got nothing to compare it with, but you knew he was a very, very special player, and he was coming to the end of his time at Tottenham, but a unique talent. And it's only afterwards you realise how good he was. But there was a sequence in there, went to Steve Perriman, who ended up captain club, playing the same youth team as me, you know, super player, super aggressive, you know, uh, someone you didn't enjoy playing against. And he tells a story that there was a team meeting by the great Bill Nicholson, who did the double with Spurs. And he said, um, Bill was having a team meeting one day, and it went on for an hour. And at the end of it, like I do, and I think that, or I didn't, like most managers do at the end of it, you'd go to maybe two or three of the senior players, have I missed anything? Anything you want to add? So after the team meeting, Bill Nick went to Jimmy Greaves and said, Jimmy, have I missed anything? You want to add something? He said, Bill, he says, Bill, you've just spoke for an hour. Now, this is a legendary manager. Bill, you've just spoke for an hour. I understand why you've had to speak for an hour. But it boils down to the same old thing, Bill. There's people who can play, and there's people that can't effing play. And that was it. So it's never been any different. It's never been any different. Can I ask, Graham, just on that then, because I think we're saying it's a general, a sweeping generalisation to assume that all modern players are, are maybe a little fickle, that they perhaps lack taking that responsibility. Of all the players that you managed in, into your managerial career, who's the one player that you felt, you know what, you could have played back in my day. You will take responsibility. Oh, lots. See, I believe that if you come under the right influence, I mean, my own story, I go to Liverpool, I was a bit of a lad, you know. You know, the social side was more important than the football. And then I was lucky that I went into that environment and come under the influence of really, really top senior professionals. And you'll hear me say this time and time again, as a manager, and, and Robbie, register this. If nothing I've say, I say today registers with you, Robbie, make sure this registers with you. As a manager... You have got no chance of being successful unless you've got good senior pros. And let me tell you why. If you imagine, if you think of a normal working week for a Premier League manager, you've got them for four days with a day off. So you've got them two hours a day. That's eight hours a week you've got them for. Then you've got them on match days with their heads full of the match. So say there's another hour, say there's another two hours somewhere. You have them for 10 hours a week under your influence. 10 hours. The rest of the time they're mixing with their teammates and hopefully, you know, the right types. And 
you know, simple things like turning up on time, training every day as if it's the last day of training you're ever going to have. I mean, if you you came to Anfield, you came to Melwood when in my generation, uh, there were once a week there was confrontation, people were being pulled apart. And certainly on match days, that was a regular occurrence. And Kenny, who I room with for over 10 years, we were pulled apart several times, you know, try to throw punches at each other. And and that that was a, that was the way it was. But you need good senior pros, Robbie, and you've got no chance because you know they if you make the demands on players, you end up falling out of them. I would imagine it's even worse today than it was in my latter years in management. You know, if you feel it's not right and you're on some all the time, they get cheesed off with you. Your players have to be that influence. I totally relate, and obviously over here, so I'm allowed like five overseas players. Uh, so I've got uh, I've got good overseas players who are experienced and you know know the game. Uh, look, I know I've never really had this conversation with you before, but I'm like that. I think you, you, the dressing room's got to be massively important. And you said something at the start about to be successful. It is all about the players anyway. So as regardless of you being a great tactical manager or a great technical manager. It doesn't really matter unless you have the, uh, the the right players to go and do those roles that you want for them. Uh, that yeah. might be a, a good player coming in, or it might be an experienced player, or whatever. But I, I totally agree with you, and I think spot on, absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think I come back. You, you got the best players, you know. You got the best players, and and um, it's making sure they're right all the time. You can influence that, and I come back to the senior pros. You know, you heard that saying, you, you, you know, you train as you play. And the tempo of, of training has to be up there. You can't train at 75% and then flick a switch on match day and go to 100%. Everything has to be... And you're relying on your you're relying on your, your senior players make that Gaffy, happen. You know, Gaffy, you know that question when you said, you, well, that, that answer you given us there, so not every player is like that, though. What you're saying in terms of train the way you play I'll be honest with you I wasn't that type of person whereas <laughs> do you don't want to say no I, I never trained like I played and, and that is just me and the, the way I felt and I know some players need to do that to, to go with the right action but I, I was like maybe confident enough to go into games believing I was better anyway but without doing it all in training does that make sense and I, I hope that doesn't sound like a little bit of a bit of a, a big headed player but I was that player who, who maybe took it easy through the week and then maybe changed my attitude towards the game. And look, rightly or wrongly, that that was just how I felt. I think I think um, without you know blowing smoke where I shouldn't blow it, you had a you know like all the great strikers, you had a sixth sense, you know, to be in the right place at the right time. I, I get I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm thinking for for me personally and for defenders anyway. Kenny was always, yeah. he wasn't the best trainer, Kenny. Rushy was, oh, you, he'd be the last pick in the five aside you want on your team. He's hopeless. But for me, I had to feel aggressive all the time. You know, I, I, was, yeah. I can remember a story about you. And uh, I was a reserve game at Anfield one night, and it was misty. And there was a corner at the cop end. And the ball's gone into the box, and there's like a load of players, and you're struggling to see. But the ball ends up in the back of the net. And no one knew how it and I turned away. I said, well, you know, score that. And that was you. You know, you just, I said, I know who scored that. You know, the ball went into a group of players and you poked it in. And it's just that sixth sense that the top, top strikers have. Um, they, see, they see the game differently at that particular moment. So I get what you're saying. But for me personally, I had to feel, you know, I had to be on it all the time. Yeah. 
What, what yeah, about Graham? You, you had so many highs in, in your career. I mean, so many blooming highs, whether it was at Liverpool, Coppa Italia victory over in Italy, a Scottish Premiership win up in my neck of the woods with Rangers. Your lowest ebb though, Graham, and, and I hate to go negative, but the, the time where you were maybe disenchanted with the game or, or a moment that has really stuck with you all these years? Um, that's quite simple. Um, my time at Liverpool and the story that appeared in the Sun newspaper. Yeah. That was, that was listen, I, looking back in my career, I, I always, I, I never really did any due diligence on jobs I was offered. And I think, you know, I've gone to Rangers that were struggling, gates of 16,000. Within a couple of months, we had it up to a full house of 45,000 at the time. Win the league the first year. You don't get a job at a football club unless there's issues, unless there's problems. Very rarely, very, you know, very rarely do, do people leave when the club is flying and take another job. So I'm at Rangers for five years. We've done the hard bit. We won it the first year. Um, and then we, I think, this Terry Butcher break a leg. Yeah. And the second year, we don't win it. But then so the third, fourth, and fifth year, we do win it again. So, and then it went on to be nine in a row. So we had, I'd, I'd done the hard work. I got my, and, and I, was, I was under pressure in, in Scotland because for, you know, you, you may remember, you know, I, I was now manager and I was getting banned from the touchline. I was falling out with everyone. And it was a case of, I was no longer on the back pages. I was, I was on the front page of newspapers. I'd split from my first wife. I was on my own. Um, and Liverpool job is offered to me. And I said no. And that was offered to me again. I said no. Now, I have an incident at St. Johnston with a tea lady who comes into the dressing room. And Aggie, God rest her soul, she died a couple of years ago. I'm not going to say bad things about her now, but that was an overreaction to some mud on the floor. So then I had a confrontation with the, the chairman of St. Johnston at the time. And I thought, you know what? This is no longer for me. And I phoned up, it was um, Jim Kenefick, who was Peter Robinson's big mate. I said, Jim, if that job, he died a couple of years ago as well. I said, I'll come and speak to you, Jim, if that job's still an offer. And, and I met, I went down and met them and I agreed to join them. And, and that, was an, that was a mistake because I'd done the hard work at Rangers. What I should have done is taken a back seat for a, couple of, for a year if I wanted to go back into management because I was the second largest shareholder at Rangers at the time and just maybe enjoyed some of the, the fruits of my endeavours. I didn't. I always felt I would get the Liverpool job at some time. Um, for me, it was a wrong, the right club at the wrong time. You know, obviously within a year I'm having open heart surgery, so there's something going on there. I think Liverpool was a difficult job for anyone taking it on at that time. I hadn't won a trophy for a, a couple of years. Um, and the mistake I made, one of the biggest mistakes I made was, was trying to do too much too soon. You know, you had the likes of Robbie coming through, Jamie Redknapp coming through, Maka coming through. I should have bided my time, but I wanted it to be instant. Um, and then the sun thing is a thing that I'll be remembered for in Liverpool. You know, it wasn't something that um, I was aware of. You know, I was in hospital when they printed that story. And, and I've got to believe it was a complete accident because at the time, Mike Ellis, bloody hell, I'm saying he died, he died a couple of years ago. <laughs> don't be my pal, I'm all dying. <laughs> he died a couple of years ago. Mike Ellis was a local, local Sun journalist and he had gone on holiday. And, um, 
and they printed that story on a Wednesday, which was the anniversary of Hillsborough. But to give you a wee bit of background to that, it was the FA Cup semi-final. And we'd drawn 1-1 with Portsmouth at Highbury, Arsenal's old ground. And then I was diagnosed with having this operation to have this uh, with coronary artery disease and then end up having an operation on the following Tuesday. The following Monday was the, the replay of the FA Cup semi-final at Aston Villa's ground. And they said to me, come have a picture. I said, well, only if we win. So I'm in hospital. Um, the game goes to extra time. It goes to penalties. And then there's a picture of me with my girlfriend at the time. has now been my wife for 28 years. And the picture, so with the they missed the deadline for the Tuesday. And I went in on the Wednesday. And I come back to Mike Ellis being away on holiday. So he would have pointed out to the people who were making that decision, you cannot put that picture in on Wednesday. So I, I'm oblivious. I don't know. I'm still all drugged up in hospital. I don't know what's happening. And that picture appeared on a Wednesday. And, and unfortunately for me, and I'm a big boy, I'll take my medicine and I deserve every criticism going for it. But it wasn't a decision made by me. Yes, should I have said no to having a picture taken? Yes. Was I aware of the, the feelings towards the Sun newspaper in Liverpool? No, given that I had been in Scotland when all this was going on. And, and it was um, a really difficult time for me. So what I should have done, I should have just resigned immediately after that, but I didn't. And I, I felt after that, I was, it was always a very difficult job and it was going to be impossible for me to crack after that. Gaffer, just uh, obviously a little bit of a thing, what you just said there about obviously that's the only thing Liverpool fans will get. Look, there will be certain fans who will bring it up and mention it. But look, trust from me and there's many, many Liverpool fans who absolutely love what you've done and what you are and, and who you are, the type of person you are as a player and certainly as a manager. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll put my hand up and, and say obviously very, very instrumental in sort of helping me um, in my career and massively grateful for that and there's massively many many grateful fans for what you was as a player and what you was as a manager so take that what what I'm saying to you is um, you know as a real honest person saying people will remember it but you're not remembered for that you're remembered for being oh, great to an unbelievable for great player thanks for saying Gaffer, just what an other thing what you were saying there about maybe taking the Liverpool job too quick. Again, from a selfish point of view from mine, I'm glad you did because if you hadn't have come in, I'm, I might not have got a look in. So, again, that's selfish from my point of view. I'm so actually having the belief in and, and, the, and the attitude in, in believing I was a good enough player for you. Well, with that, and then, of course, the people are, are not, well, one's not around to, to um, there's a couple around, but there's one not around in particular who didn't think you were ready. And I said, he's ready. Yeah. And that's when we threw you in. And then Fulham, wasn't it? Debbie Fulham. Fulham, Fulham. Yeah. Well, for, funny enough, Gaffer, just before you come on, I was, I was telling the story. So uh, the first year of the uh, the Premier League, I was actually sub the last game of the season, which was against uh, Tottenham. We won 6-2. Uh, and I had, there was only the time when we only had two subs. And I was sub for, for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, and I never got on. And in a way, I'm glad I never got on because... What you just said, I probably wasn't ready. I didn't think I was ready that particular time. Mm. Uh, and obviously glad you had the foresight to think a few months later I was actually, uh, I was ready. And, and thankfully I, I didn't look back. So, yeah. <laughs> You've made me a happy man. You've made me a happy man today. Was it four goals you got against Fulham? Was it four? Uh, <laughs> no, you, you, well, I can't believe you took a goal away from me, Gaffer. 
Don't tell me it was five. It was five, yeah. It was five. It was. <laughs> Gaffer, just just to tell you that quick story about that uh, that game. So obviously the first game was a three-one win yeah. uh, up at uh, Craven Cottage, and the second leg, which was which was ironically my first game at Anfield, and I I go back to the stories you tell about you know all the great Liverpool coaches, the the, the Joe Fagans or Ronnie Morans, and uh, I remember after the, uh, the the game at Anfield, we won five-nil. I scored the five goals, so I'm coming <laughs> off the pitch thinking I'm the best player the world's ever seen. And I goes in the dressing room, and I'm sitting down, and I'm wanting yourself, I'm wanting Ronnie, I'm wanting Roy, uh, and everyone to tell me, you know, I'm better than Rushy, I'm this and I'm that. And Ronnie Moran just turned round to me, he went, you should have had six, you spotty little basket. And I went, brilliant. And I, I love telling people that story, because that is what Ronnie Moran was all about. He was always wanting you to, to go out there and get better. Oh, he was, he was, he was unique. He was, you know, we used to say about Ronnie, he was, he was happy being unhappy. <laughs> and, and and but it was all a game. I mean, he was he was a good man. He really was a good man. That's a major influence on me. Major influence. I've got to tell a Ron Moran story. At the end of each season, you know, for one of the league, um, you didn't get the medal at the end of the season. So you go away for a holiday, come back, do pre-season. Sometime in that period, the first two weeks of pre-season, you'd be sitting in the dressing room after a session. You'd been down to Melwood, come back sitting there, he would come in with an old wooden cardboard box, place it on the massage table in the middle of the home dressing room at Anfield and say, oh, there's, there's, there's some mails in there for last year, uh, if you think you deserve one. <laughs> and then he'd walk out and would count one, two, it was always somewhere between sort of five and seven seconds, his head would pop back down the door <laughs> and he'd say, by the effing way, we get nothing this year for what's in that box. It was, <laughs> it was genius, that. It was, it was it's absolutely unique. genius. It was totally unique. Brilliant. Good, good. They were great days. They were great days. I loved the start of it. Gaffer, I loved the way you said at the start of it, if we won the league. It wasn't if, it was well, when. Well, I, I want to... Last couple from us, because I'm conscious of time, and I know you've got training, Robbie, and the gaffer can't be late, for goodness sake, for training. There's a theme that's emerged, and, and I did this last week with Jurgen Klopp. I waited till the end. I can do it now with you, Graham. I've got to admit to you that I am a Man United fan. Graham, I'm sorry to do that to you. Now... What the theme of this right. interview has been is, is you've talked about taking responsibility, that players, perhaps some today, don't do that. Now, you have had this long-running kind of battle saga, if you will, with a certain Paul Pogba. And Robbie was remarking before you came on air, it's you probably are a big fan. You probably rate him. What, what the big issue for you is, it's the mentality. You don't see him really putting it in 90 minutes, week after week after week. Is that accurate, Graham? Is, is your kind of frustration at Paul is the fact that you see a heck of a player there? You just, you just question whether... 100%. You know, it's, it's what I said 10 minutes ago. You know, the time for a player yeah. to worry when I was working as a coach is when I stopped talking to them. That means I'd give up on them. Listen, there's no doubt in Paul's qualities. They're, they're unique qualities. But, you know, it's a bit like uh, Jack Grealish. I think he's had a fabulous year because for me, his sprinting is quickly going back towards his own goal now. He's just going another way. He's putting a shift in now for the cause. There's no doubt in the qualities. Paul Pogba's got unique qualities. Got another wonder goal last night. And he's, he's, the, he's the difference in big games. My, my criticism of his was he didn't work hard enough for, for the cause. And his teammates, but I, 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 you would not find me question his his raw ability. It's up there 
anyone, anyone, anyone you want to name around today. But um, I, just, I just want more from him because he's that good. He could be the difference in, in most games. He's got that much quality. And it's all about the work rate and what he was doing. Yeah. I think what I'm saying is what he was doing without the ball. You know, you're putting a shift in because it only takes, in the modern game, everyone's a high press, high press. It only takes one person not to get involved in that and the whole press breaks down. And I would, uh, the simplest way, and I've, you know, you get to my age, I've got a story for every occasion. I can remember, it was imprinted in my head when I was 15 or 16 years old that you sprint back towards your own goal as you do sprinting forward going forward. And it was Bill Nick in a meeting with the youth team saying, if you need an example, look at a guy called Ray Bunkle. Now, you will never have heard of Ray Bunkle. That name, he played in the reserves. That name is stuck in my head all my career until today. And that, I learned that very early on. And that stuck with me forever and ever. You know, you sprint back as quickly as you sprint forward. And, and yeah. And I didn't see that in, in Paul Pogba, but there's no doubt about it. The, the man's got unique talents. And listen, speaking on behalf of the majority, I think, of Man United fans, completely can't argue with that. At times, you've had to question his appetite for doing the dirtier side of, of the game, that perhaps he doesn't want to get involved in. He's more of a, of a flash player. Listen, Rob, I'm conscious of your time. I've got to ask, Robbie's obviously cutting his managerial teeth. Incidentally, Graham, he's seven matches unbeaten over in the Indian Super League. Another young man cutting his managerial teeth that I've got to get your thoughts on is Steven Gerrard. Because what are Rangers now? 18 points clear at the top of the mm-hmm. Scottish Premiership. Celtic bidding for 10 in a row. Stephen looking as if he's going to stop them doing that. Is he destined for bigger and better things in his managerial career? Well, I don't think it's bigger and better than, than Rangers. I mean, Rangers, is a, do you know if you're Scottish, is a monster football club. You know, don't underestimate the size of Glasgow Rangers. Yeah. You know, if, were, if it was a level playing field, if they had the same money coming in from television as the big clubs in England and they were playing the Premier League, they'd be challenging for, the, for that title. Make no mistake about that. You know, history has been unkind some of the way the game's evolved in Scotland and the way the, the money has been introduced through television into the English game. Getting back to Stephen, he's done a wonderful job. If you go back to last year, when they played Celtic, they were better than Celtic. But, would, you know, they came back from Dubai very much in it um, <clears throat> this time last year and blew up for whatever reason. You have to say this year they've been sensational. Yeah. And the consistency, and that's how you win leagues. You'd also have to factor in that Celtic have just imploded. You know, they've just imploded both on the field and off the field. But um, no, he's done a great job. Because difficult time at Rangers. He went in there at a very difficult time. So yeah, he's done a great job. But it's not about bigger and better when you leave Glasgow Rangers. It's a different challenge. Yeah, it is. I, my, I take that point. And I do take that love, point. I was a Rangers supporter as a boy. That's that that was my first love. And then obviously you look for all the results that the clubs you've been involved with through your career and the first two I look for is Liverpool and, and Rangers. Slightly, Rangers slightly first, sorry to say that. Yeah, good. 
Absolutely. Sorry, 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 sorry Gaffer, we'll, we'll just cut that bit off. We'll <laughs> I, I want to finish. I want to finish if I can, Graham. Robbie started this interview by saying that. Listen, he's likened you to, to the Simon Cowell of the footballing world. In, Robbie, in, in a good way, though. In, in a, a good, good way. way yeah. In, in a good, good way. way, of course. Important we point that out. Robbie also told us a lovely tale about the, the time. I think you were over in Ireland and you put your arm around him. Uh, it was early morning. You were flying back to Liverpool and you, you gave him a Guinness. And, and what was Graham? What was Gaffer eating, Robbie? Oysters. Oysters at 7.30 in the morning, Gaffer. I hope it was a glass of champagne, was it? <laughs> no, you, you, no, you had a champagne, but you give me a Guinness. You give me a Guinness. <laughs> probably because I was hollow and I was, I was so scary, I probably needed to bulk up a yeah. little bit. But that was yeah. obviously one of the... the um, not impressions you, because I knew what you was and what type of man you are anyway. But I remember you having uh, oysters at 7.30 in the morning and you give me an oyster, so... Thank you for that. You still eat them? I, I, I actually not, not not all the time. Now and again, but whenever I think, whenever anyone gives me oysters, I always think about you, Gaffer. Good man. Just just for Good. for seven thirty, <laughs> seven thirty in the morning in Dublin Airport eating oysters. It must have been a big night the night before then. <laughs> to bed. Well, yeah, probably, well, was, that was a big morning then big morning yeah. Yeah. phenomenal listen Graham uh, we can't thank you enough you know uh, and again Robbie you know him well you don't know me for Adam uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you Graham we could listen to you all day long for goodness sake you, you're a man that understands the game of course you do you've been hugely successful in it for what it's worth I think you speak plenty of sense uh, and you, you certainly come across as, as someone who wholeheartedly loved the game and, and still continues to do so today so Graham Souness Liverpool legend, Rangers legend, Scotland legend as well. Thank you so much for your time. No, it's been great. Um, it's been a pleasure, guys. Robbie, the best of luck out there, pal. Maybe our paths will cross and we can have a... You can have a Guinness and I'll have a glass of something. <laughs> <laughs> best I'll, of luck, I'll look you, Cheers, best boss. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. What an absolute treat that was. Graham Souness. This is the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. What a man, Robbie. You did tell me he's he's phenomenal. I, I was a bit petrified and I think I maybe annoyed him with the Rangers comment, bigger and better things, but what a man he is. Brilliant. I, I, think, you, I think you hit the nail on the end at the end there because I think obviously we're listening to him and he is a man that you, you hang on to every word he says. You do. Uh, and, you absolutely and, do. I, mean, I hope we don't come across as really quiet. He's control, but I was just so in so in tune with what he was saying and you know everything everything is relevant and everything is, is spot on uh, management what you need in terms of manager getting the right staff behind you getting the right players in getting the experienced players um, I, I honestly I, I could have listened to them all day really yeah, I, I know you could have. I certainly could have, but I'm conscious you might be late for training. Uh, Robbie Fowler, it is the Robbie Fowler podcast. Graham Souness, we've went from Jurgen Klopp in episode two to Graham Souness. There'll be one or two people now genuinely questioning my allegiance to Man United. We're hopefully going to be rolling out a few Man United ex Man United players in the coming weeks. Watch this space on that front. The Robbie Fowler podcast, subscribe to it. Do give us a rating, make that five star. Do give us a review as well every single Monday on all your usual podcast places and Rob best of luck hopefully the next time we catch up you're eight games unbeaten throw a win in there and you'll be looking up not down well that's the, that's the plan mate listen I better, I better shoot really because I have got to go and I've got to go and 
Absolutely. Don't be silly. And, we don't... Listen, the gap has just said, don't be late for training, and I can't be, so I need no, to shoot. Absolutely, Rob. Don't you, uh, don't you be getting sacked because of being late. Robbie Fowler, Robbie Fowler Podcast, back episode four, out next Monday. As I say, do subscribe, do rate, and do give us a review. Well done, Rob. This has been the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Hear it again and more of our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.